Hello and welcome to Brokenomics. Now, on this episode, I am delighted to announce that I have got our three Brokenomics debutantes who have not appeared on the uh, the show before, and I thought it was high time that we got them on and um, infect them with whatever illness you're hello. carrying. No, I'm fine. I'm perfectly fine. So, Stelios the Greek, hello. Um, Harry the Pirate, and hello. Callum of the Caliphate. So, uh, glad glad we've got you all here, and uh, we are going to discuss. What is an economy even for? So, um, any thoughts? That's a rather broad question. It is a little bit broad. So, I mean, some, I, I can, we need some parameters of discussion here. Yeah. I, I could uh, give a provisional answer. Oh, go ahead. Please. Because it's a stipulative definition we could use. Yes. I think you could say that an economy is a sort of structure that human beings adopt. Hmm. In order to govern the circulation of the of material goods within their societies, and I would also add that it must involve an element of trade because if there isn't trade in it and it's just people seizing the produce of other people and just rationing it without there being exchange, I wouldn't call that an economy. So I would say that it's good to think of an economy as a sort of structure that people adopt that governs trade and the circulation of material goods within a society. So, so that's kind of where I got to on this one. I, I was going to come at it from saying that an economy is everything that you do after your immediate survival needs have been met. Okay. And then I'm the going to go with a very formal answer if we're going to be really broad about it and just right. describe what it is in general. Uh, the economy is the methods by which a people in a geographical area manage and allocate scarce resources for that can be used for alternate means. That does sound a tad dictionary-ish. It's uh, the, basically Thomas Sowell's. Ah, right. Okay. Well, I, I'm, I'm not going to go against the great Thomas Sowell on this one. But, it's, a, um, mainly, it's basically the Chicago school's answer. Yes. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's about right. Um, but, but essentially, the great game of over the course of human history has been how the elites can extract as much as possible of everything that you produce after your immediate survival needs have been met. Can um, I? I mean, not all of here. them prioritize your immediate survival either. China. Well, yes, they, Maoist they, China. They, they, they have dipped below. The, I, I'm going to show you an image on screen. So this is um, uh, what is it? The, the, this is uh, the wealth. So for those of you who who listen uh, to the show, you you miss out on. My beautiful visage, but um, but still. So so from the from the visual capitalist, we've got this uh, this wealth pyramid here. It's the share of global wealth split down by um, basically your your net worth. So so that big bit at the top, those are dollar millionaires. So so there we go. There's there's the full size of the pyramid. Um, now the, the 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 dollar millionaires make up about um, eighty six million people. Um. You know, less than one point one percent of the population, and and they have. And this is global. Uh, this is global, yes. This and, and they make up about forty six percent of the wealth ends up with those guys. Then you've got this fairly reasonable chunk here, which is which are people with a net worth in between a hundred thousand and a million dollars, and they get the next forty percent. Um, and there are. Oh, there's, well, there's there's a reasonable chunk of those people, I suppose, is is, is probably not that many. What is that like? Ten percent? The... It says twelve percent. Oh yes, yes, quite quite right. Twelve percent, very good. Um, and then you've got uh, you know this 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 base layer here, a third of the population, and they end up with um, between ten thousand dollars and a hundred thousand dollars. 
And then finally, uh, 52% of the population end up with less than 10,000. So um, that's how it is. I I have to say, I find this global method of showing the distribution of wealth to be inherently subversive because if you scroll back down to the overall percentages, um, that 52% will take in a lot of what we would describe as the third world places which have foreign governments which are incredibly corrupt, Mm. populations that are known for being not particularly productive. There will be all variety of factors and by visualizing it in this way, Mm. as always, the minoritarian view would be that those who have the least in society are thereby the most worthy of everything. And therefore, if we visualize the world as one great big society, we on this higher half, which would take in most of the developed Western nations, owe it to all of the rest of the world, literally over half of the population, to give them free stuff because I feel bad because their material conditions. So, so my question was met. going to be: Is is this a problem? But you you have you have no. waded straight in. No, with a, I don't a visualize. No, I don't visualize the world as a global society. I visualize right. the world as pockets of humanity which are distinct and dis, uh, disparate from one another. Right. And all have different needs and methods. And is, is, and is, is that because you feel that within a, a reasonable course of your life, or, or, or maybe you're there already? That it's because you're, I, you're uh, I what, what, uh, it's because of, I consider myself a, a British man right. and care first and foremost for the well-being of the British people. I don't care about the well-being of whoever's living in the middle of but f nowhere in Timbuktu. Uh, I feel like Callum, you would probably concur with me on that. Is is he right, th- Callum? I. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I come from a completely different position. I didn't answer your question about what is the economy, and I'm going to take the maybe maybe a weird approach that might give me a lot of ridicule, probably rightly so. Economy's bullshit; doesn't exist. Complete wank. And uh, I came to this position because I read one green text, and uh, that was enough. That's enough for a lot of people. Yeah, it was just green text that was like, did you know if you look at the word economy on Google Trends? People didn't talk about the economy like we talk about it now up until very, very recently. The term the economy was not something you could make grow or line go up or any of that crap. It was just what have people done with their lives? It was instead an overview of what have these people done? They've they've done these things. Mm -hmm. These guys are worth about that much or whatever, right? And the reason I ended up subscribing to that, even though it's like so monkey brain, is because of stuff like you're, you're showing here, where people take the economy as some kind of concept they can control and visualize and manipulate. And it's like, that ah, bollocks. Because as Harry's saying, you know, you got a Timbuktu. The guy's built himself a quite lovely house made out of bricks or uh, sticks. Yes. That's, that's great. That suits him. He's on the bottom of this graph. He owes, we owe him money. No, we don't. And he's perfectly happy, you're kind of saying. And, uh, Maybe. I, yes. I, I think what you're actually harking back to there is the origins of what economics is. It derives from oikonomics, which is the household management. So it was the idea of it starts with the behavior in the home, how you manage your home, and it goes out from there, and then it takes in a particular geographic area. But each of those people, within, in the same way that no two households will behave in the exact same way uh, or prefer the same things, why would you expect two nations and two different people who have come up in completely different circumstances to want the exact same things? Why does man in his stick home who's perfectly content with his one yak that he's herding why does he want the big uh, economy of somewhere like Saudi Arabia? Why would he want to live in Dubai and big glass buildings? 
it's not even necessarily that I object to. It, it's this managerial viewpoint. So you can then visualize the economy and decide what should be. Oh, and start herding it. Yeah. Right. Because I know you don't yes. subscribe to this, but no. there are people at the World Economic Forum and, and throughout yes. all the universities. Oh, yes. They're the all West. about the management. That's how they think about the economy. And that's yeah. why I just hate the term. So, so that was oh, unexpectedly uh, philosophical from those chaps. Um, turning to our in-house philosopher. Yes. So I like imposing order into chaos. And I want to say that there are several different discussions here that we shouldn't mix. So you show a particular fact. If it is a fact, I'm willing to assume that Let's it is. Let's assume it is. Yeah. Okay, so what Harry said, and I agree with a lot of what he said, is it has to do with the way particular facts are presented and in, incorporated into a particular narrative that is political and that is communicated in order to achieve political purposes. So for instance, what, what you are saying, I don't think that it's the representation of global wealth distribution in a pyramid on its own that is problematic. It's the particular use of these data into a particular narrative for a particular political purpose that is used there. And also, Callum, I think, I think what you have in mind is the sort of distinction between macroeconomics and microeconomics, whereas a lot of people, as you said, they constantly talk about several economic indexes, constant growth, constant focus on numbers, and they miss, uh, they overlook what Harry you're describing as household management, which is more, you could say, microeconomic level. So the question, what is an economy for? I would ask, is this a moral question that would take us to normative economics? What should be the goal of the economy? Or is it a more, more of a descriptive question of yeah. how is an economy used and for what purposes actually, well, which could yes. deviate from if, the moral. If you wouldn't mind me adding on to that, the Austrian view is that it's not necessarily that there is a distinction between macro and micro economics because the Austrians view the study of economics as the study of human action because all of econo um, um, economic action results from the decisions that human beings made. Yeah. So the view of macroeconomics is an inherently managerial view of how do we, how do we uh, socially engineer people's decisions and the actions that they take on the day-to-day to, -day to uh, d direct themselves in a way that we as the managers prefer. So I'll, I'll answer that by explaining how I came to the idea for this particular topic in the first place which was I was listening to a podcast with um, John Mearsheimer, the, um, the, the, the commentator on geopolitical matters, who's, who's been quite sensible on Russia and Ukraine and, and, and now Israel and Gaza and so on. Um, and he was coming at it from the perspective that the, the whole point of uh, an economy uh, is, is basically to get your, your GDP as high as possible because a strong economy makes the state strong. And by having a strong state, you can defend yourself against other states. And he thinks very much in those sort of geopolitical terms. So from his perspective, line go up is pretty, pretty crucial. And to that end, um, immigration is an unalloyed good. I completely disagree. And this, yes. this ties into something that Callum was saying, this idea of the line go up economics, because uh, Rothbard has a very very effective critique of GDP by simply pointing out that GDP is all economic activity within a particular state uh, aggregated together. And that includes state activity yes, it does. from the state itself. 
And that can be a massive disruptive factor on an economy. The government could print a trillion dollars and pay you, Dan, a trillion dollars to dig a single hole. This is not what anybody would refer to. And I would be up for that if they... Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So would I. Hit hit me up, Rishi. Um, But that's not what anybody would describe as productive. So you need a much more accurate measure of economic productivity than GDP to be able to measure how well yeah, you're, 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 you're absolutely right. So, so, so GDP or gross domestic product, there are different ways that you can measure it. The one that everybody goes for is the expenditure method, where they basically just take whatever um, consumer spending and government spending there is, and then there's a, there's a net off for imports versus exports. But quite literally with that, all spending is considered equal um, it doesn't matter whether you are investing in, say, a, a motorway which connects, you know, whatever and leads to economic activity and all the rest. So of it. on the GDP line go up, yeah. would simps buying only fans be counted as the same level of productivity as, well, yes. as Elon Musk uh, manufacturing rockets with SpaceX? So if, if, if Elon Musk moves to the UK and becomes part of the, our GDP and invests $100 million in developing a, a new AI system or a new rocket launch system, Yes, that is counted exactly the same as if the government literally built a bridge out into the Atlantic for about 100 miles and then just stopped. A bridge to nowhere. That's Soviet economics, right? Yes. And, and then, if you then spent another 100 million on dismantling the bridge, that would also go to GDP. Sounds productive even, to Even me. if you borrowed the money to do it. I believe um, yes. FDR had some very similar programs to that as part of <laughs> yes. the New Deal. Yes. So, um, you know, GDP... I mean, it's not even GDP per capita, is it? Which, which, which would sort of, you know, break it down on a, on, on a sort of a, a different level. So I've, I've got some talking points for us here. So we've agreed very quickly that we don't like GDP. Um, how, how would you want to measure an economy? Now, there's a, there's a couple of um, options that I can, I, can, I can put forward, but please come forward of your own, and I, I hope you do come forward of your own. So there's a United Nations came up with the Human Development Index. Uh, which combines data on life expectancy, education, per capita income to assess the social and economic levels. Uh, we got something called the Genuine um, Progress Indicator, which takes into account the economic value of non-market transactions. We've got the Social Progress Index, which uh, me- measures, well, social products and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we've got a couple of happiness indexes. So th- that was a discussion in the latter end of David Cameron's government. Maybe we should um, measure happiness. Uh, rather than rather than GDP, I feel like Cameron's government wouldn't score very highly. Yes, on so maybe in, in, in fact, Bhutan uh, came up with this. They they came up with a happiness measure that includes um, environmental factors, cultural preservation, something quite sensible, good governments, and economic vitality. So um, you know, are, are are we onto something with anything there? I mean, how uh, your your people living in a country that has an economy, how would you want to measure what is good about it? I'm just laughing at this concept entirely. <laughs> but I love that one there. Bhutan, a country that doesn't cut down any of its trees, thinks that to be a good country, you must not cut down trees. Amazing. They're number yes. one. Again, this another year but, of Bhutan being the best country on earth. But yes, again, if that is the mode of life that is preferable to the state and the people within Bhutan, and if they don't want to change things, let them do it. If I'm not saying cut down the yeah, trees. I'm, not, I'm saying that, I'm not saying that that's what you want to do. That's why I'm saying that 
pure GDP as the only example of what's good. It, it doesn't take into account any of the vari um, variable factors between how different peoples want to choose to live their lives. My point is that the concept of even measuring this is madness, and this is where I back out, and I'll let you guys speak. Uh, the, okay, the what, most... The, yeah, but what, if, if you were doing it, what would you want to measure? Callum, you've just I, been handed leadership over North Korea. What now? Bro, I just ended the discussion with death to the word, the economy. I'm, I'm really out of this, this, this zone. Of okay, let's, let's how about... Let's formulate the question differently. How would you maximize prosperity and well-being if you were in charge of North Korea? Well, that's, again, it's not a question of measuring stuff. That's a question of what I do. So you'd get rid of regulations, for example, that stop the cookie sellers from selling their cookies at the North Korean black markets because more cookies equals more output because people have food all of a sudden again. More cookies equals more happiness, in my experience as well. More good. I, it's just the, the whole discussion kind of really irritates me when, and, and this is why, because you have discussions about how we measure the economy, line go up, yeah. therefore, and more immigration equal more good. People play in the world like hoi foi players. I mean, it's fun, but it's not real. Let, let me run an idea by you then the boomer index. Okay. So basically, um, you, you take a boomer who, who's able to buy a three or four bed house in their 20s on a starter salary and live in a pretty homogeneous country um, and pay off their mortgage um, by their middle years and take two foreign holidays a year and drive a nice car, and you assign that a one. Okay. And then with each subsequent generation, you, you give them the boomer index, which is, you know, you know Gen X is down to 0 0.7 or something. Millennials are like, you know, 0 0.6 or something, and then Zoomers are 0, 0.00 something. What about that as, a, as an economic measure? Why aren't you just measuring the Dinos throughout time there? Hey, look, you can take more holidays to Spain, world more good. <sighs> well, that's, that's what I'm hearing. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that for you because these are the things that you often point to, you know, the, the, the um, well, you know, being able to buy this? a house. What, what it sounds like you're doing there, if you're just measuring the well-being of a country by the ability of its inhabitants to acquire material goods and leisure, then we'll cut me some slack out. I'm, I'm trying my best. Well, no, no. I, well, let's be fair. I'm assuming you're talking about also, yeah. I don't know, air quality. Oh, yeah. Blah blah blah. Uh, why not? Yeah. I, I, I know. I know that you um, that you're trying to have a, a more broad discussion than purely talking about material goods. But what you're talking about there, the boomers were well off. Part uh, yes, because they had the homogenous country, but also because they the, they were in a period of incredible credit credit expansion. Yeah. which allowed them to be able to afford as much as they were able to afford and then keep a hold of that wealth later and later. Into yes, we might come back to that. And live much longer lives as well, so they're keeping a hold of that wealth for much longer. Yes. Um, but if you wanted to measure it purely leisure and material goods, you'd probably want to, say, GDP per capita or average income of a country versus the average price for particular material goods, the real price of such things. So with that, you would probably be able to generate an average real wage. Yes. Um, and then you'd be able to measure that against other Some sort of purchasing power. Good. I like, I like that because I'm coming on to that. That's, that's, some, that's a materialist way of looking at it. But if you're yes. going, like economics is a very materialist yes. way of looking at the world. So, so yes. Stelios, so, Harry is being helpful here. Would you like to continue to be helpful on this thing? Yeah, I want to actually say I agree with Harry because I think that there is a danger when a lot of, let's say, qualitative indexes are used to talk about wealth, there is like happiness, for instance. 
I don't I don't want the government to telling uh, to telling me, for instance, how to be happy, yeah. or if I'm not happy or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah, no, I I don't want them to to say this. So, let's talk about material wealth as material wealth. Let us not introduce more subjective aspects into it, because if we do and we normalize this sort of discourse, yeah. then we are going to have all sorts of governments saying, well. You are materially prosperous, but you're not happy. Um, let us restrict your economic freedom to make you happier, and we end up with the "you will own nothing and be happy." Ah, right. That is why there, I I don't want the government to tell me how to be happy. I don't want anyone to tell me how to be happy. Yeah, we exist in that yes. paradigm at the moment. We exist yes. within the managerial therapeutic yes. state, where they tell you that certain mo modes of living and certain ways of thinking are wrong, pathological, they make you and everybody else around you unhappy. Yes, but you see that there is a, I'm not disagreeing with you, I want to add on this. You see there is a lot of conflicting accounts as to why this happened, and some people say, oh, it's the bad focus on materialistic values and stuff, which it is a problem, but it's a cultural problem, it's not necessarily an economic one. What about if you told the government if you were happy or not? Why should I care to tell them? Why should he trust that the government would believe him? And if he is happy living a particular way of life that the government deems to be wrong, I mean, we've seen yeah. from what we've spoken about recently Sh that even Tommy Robinson existing as Tommy Robinson is enough for the government to decide that that's wrong in some way. Yes, that makes them unhappy. Mm. All right, okay, fine. So, look, here's something to think about. Um, Let's rather than sort of a bit hypothetical. Sorry, I, do, I don't want oh. to sound rude or something, but when you said if I wanted to tell the government that I'm unhappy, that's a very big question. And the question is, unhappy with myself, unhappy with the way things are run, yeah. unhappy with my the level of my material wealth, unhappy with whether I'm respected. I would give a different answer to well, each of well, these questions. Well, ideally, the way you vote should determine that. Yeah. Express that, but of course, that mechanism has been effectively dismantled by yeah. Jerry Rigg. Not, not which not only file that. do you prefer? Vote, citizen. Yes. yes. So, look, it, it, here are the. Um... <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, for a lot of people, that's going to be. Um, well, I can't. I can't say his name. I, certainly, I certainly can't. I certainly can't draw him. Uh, anyway, so th this is uh, the world's biggest economies in in 2022. Um, so, so, so giving us some indication of, that, of, of those who have these particularly big economies. Now, United States, you'll notice, is up there at top with a GDP per capita of 76,000 per person. Then we've got China, Japan, Germany, India, oh, well done, United Kingdom, still hanging on there at six. Um, France, seven, Russia at eight, Canada at nine, not so bad for, for a dinky little country like that, and um, Italy down at 10. Also, Brazil's nipping at the hills there. Um, so those are the biggest countries. It, it changes quite a bit when you do it per capita. Now, Norway leaps to the top, uh, followed by Ireland, and then Switzerland, Singapore. Oh, and the United States does get a mention. Um, Denmark, Australia, Netherlands. So it's quite a different picture when you do it as GDP per capita. But, um, but look, Looking at this, biggest countries, um, I will point out that this is measured in dollars and that the US is at the top and the US has the ability to create dollars whenever it wants. So it's perhaps not wildly surprising to find that it's at the top of the list when you measure it in dollars. 
Um, and Callum also uses those dollars to provide services to other countries across the world, which have yes have to agree to spend those dollars we, back we, in America. We will print dollars. We will send you the dollars, and we want real things in exchange. Thank you very much. And then you have to spend those dollars with us anyway. Yes, yes, there is that. So, so Callum, you you travel quite a bit. Um, I'm just looking here at Russia, down here as um, let me see, we we've got Russia on eighth compared to say the United States. You've been to both of these countries recently. Um, Russia here has got a GDP per capita of fifteen thousand versus what seventy six thousand up there. Um, is is it that many multiple times better no. in the United States than it is in Russia? No. Right. Russia's pretty good, but the United States is not heaven on earth. Right. It's, what, seven times? Yeah. Six times? I mean, the Americans have got a lot of money, but they don't have a lot of things. How do you mean? Well, like, you go to America and you think that difference in wealth would mean that every road is paid beautifully. There's a rail network connecting every major city that's got high-speed trains. Right. That's the kind of wealth difference you would imagine? Obviously, that's not true. Like, it's, it's different. Yeah, they got more money, for sure. But not the difference that's being demonstrated here. So, so the, people, the, people, the people in Russia are not living seven times less well than the people in, in the United States, you'd From say. From what I saw, no. So, yeah. I mean, before someone jumps down my throat, like, of course, there are shit parts of Russia. There are definitely shit parts yes. of the United States. I, um, I mean, this, this, this is, again, another way that measuring things just kind of ends up looking a bit silly. Because if you look at that graph, you'd be like, oh man, my life would be amazing in America because trust me, everyone's richer. Yes. Or it's way better in France than it is in Italy. And this is the problem with like measuring the economy and then trying to take things from that term. That's what I have a problem with. Because you asked me a question earlier, which was about, well, how would you measure some parts of how your life are doing or whatever, right? Or the population's life. Because I always yes. talk about house prices. Well, the reason I always talk about house prices is because I give a crap about buying a house. That's it. Right. That's, that's really the, the desire, because of course it is. And then that's, again, the problem, which is when we have people talking about how the economy is X, Y, Z, and therefore we should manage it this way or that way. Yeah. I mean, to bring it full circle, I kind of almost agree with your definition when we actually talk about reality of the human beings who use that phrase, because they're using it like a paradox player, where it's like, what can we steal and then use for our own purposes mm. as the government? That's all the phrase really means, so that's why I kind of say it means nothing. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.